This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special Sunday morning mailbag edition. That description keeps getting longer every day. I'm Scott Phillips. He is, even on a Sunday morning, Andrew Page, Esquire, the founder, the managing director, the chief cook and bottle washer, the brains, the vision, the man, the myth, the legend, Andrew Page. How are you, mate? Very good, sir. How are you? Do you like that, the man, the myth, the legend? Yeah, I, you've got a. You've always got a backup career as a um, as the <laughs> the MC for like WWF wrestling or something like that. Exactly. It's a lovely little flourish that you put on. Things. Hailing from the <laughs> central west town of Tamworth, New South Wales, Andrew Ram Page. <laughs> you know it. Does that work? You're a natural. You're a natural. My my apologies to our sound producer who may have had to adjust the audio on that one. Um, mate, thank you very much. Mate, I I I did have an uncomfortable weekend. Oh yeah, because I well I realised that I on Friday I didn't ask you what straw man was and I, I've 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 wrestled with the question ever since. Oh well, I'm so I'm so glad you followed it up. Uh, let me oh, let good. me correct okay. it. Yeah, it's a okay, it's please. an online it's a it's a private online investment club. Private online that that, that could mm. catch on. It could well you'd think so. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I don't think it's, it's not memorable enough. I don't think <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Should we just get into the questions? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. Uh, this one comes from someone who says in line number two in capital letters for this particular question, please keep my name anonymous. And then in lowercase, with many thanks. So I will. He says, Dear Scott and Andrew, thank you once again for the wonderful knowledge and education you share with your audience, not once, but twice every week. I haven't missed an episode. How good's that? Of your podcast since discovering you two, uh, sorry, discovering you two or so years ago, and you've been a huge help in my ever ongoing financial education. I'm a happy member of Motley Fool Share Advisor. Thank you. And we'll consider Strawman in the years ahead. Maybe you didn't know what it was. Maybe that's the problem. If you know it was a proper online investment club, you might have <laughs> might have jumped in. Maybe. And not just not quite ready yet to take the plunge, he says. I find myself nodding along and agreeing with so much of what you both say. But I write today with a thesis disagreement, namely in regard to Andrew's dislike of Australian residential property as an investment engine. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but from what I can gather, Andrew thinks, dot, dot. Here we go. One, Australian residential property is overpriced. Yes, they do. Two, it's potentially in a bubble or is a pseudo Ponzi scheme. Uh, Yes, directionally correct. Yes. Has minimal yield to price of purchase. Oh, it's just objective fact, yes. Is fairly close to a price ceiling based on income. Uh, yeah, yep. And shouldn't be considered an asset class due to being an essential static need, i.e. shelter, rather than a productive asset. No, no, I disagree. It's a totally, totally a viable and decent asset class. But it also should be shelter. I mean, that's, that's it's, I mean we, we've got to, again, distinguish between somewhere to live and something to invest in. But yeah, yes. I mean, it is it is an asset, absolutely. Yes, um, those, yeah. those things are both true. Yep. He, I guess that's that's what I said. that's four and a half out of five. Well done, questioner. I don't want to sound like a property maximalist. He says I'm not. He's been spending too much time with you, Bitcoin a lot. I agree with you both that diversification across and within asset classes and dollar cost averaging are pretty much the only free lunches we can get as investors. But I'd like to present a bull case for Australian residential property for you to talk to for or against. My main reasons, says our question or our email, for being bullish are as follows. That's a long list you'll be happy to know, Ram. I'll, I'll try and keep it a little bit short. Mm-hmm. Firstly, leverage, leverage, leverage. 
With a 20% cash deposit, I can leverage 5x my starting cash. Two, rent keeps you in the market, but capital gains are what you get from the market. And borrowed from another podcast, he says. And these are tax-free unless realised. Point four, three, the unrealised capital gains can be borrowed against to continue the cycle of leverage. The 100% CGT discount on primary residence allows you to realise some of your capital gains tax-free. Negative gearing, he says, controversial, I know, but rough maths, I can hold an asset for 2 to 3% of its total purchase price via negative gearing. So you only need to see capital growth of 3% plus per annum to achieve a net positive gain. Number four, supply and demand-wise, I agree supply is the answer to the crisis we're in at the moment, but I see minimal to trivial government to governmental willingness to tackle this. Next, mm. costs of building have shot up staggeringly. Next, population growth into an area and the earning potential of an area drive property prices. Australia's expecting 2 million migrants over the coming five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. He then says, I do acknowledge it's hard to talk about Australian residential property in a generalised way. It's um, as it's just as if not more important than with share investment to select the asset correctly. Yes. With a large cap trading at a P of 30 without much growth potential, will it underperform? Probably. Yep. Will a small to mid cap on a P of 12 with a long growth runway outperform? Quite possibly. Mm-hmm. Will a $2 million two-bedroom unit on the Gold Coast see large year-on-year capital returns? I doubt it. Will a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home 10 minutes from a capital city? Quite possibly, in a multi-bagger kind of way. You get my metaphor. A sample size of one doesn't equal evidence here, but my first property investment, I managed a 12.5% compound growth in initial cash over 17 years. On my second, I've achieved 10% compound growth on my initial cash down over 10 years. He goes on. In making the next move, do I draw equity out by one-to-one Australian international shares or do I continue the snowball in the Australian residential property market? He says, I've made the choice to do both and diversify. But 10 to 20 years on, when I look back on one-to-one share investment using debt drawn down on equity or buying initial property at five-to-one leverage, I still reckon the latter is likely to provide outperformance. I'd love to hear your counter arguments. He then says, for the record, I do my best to be as kind a landlord as I can. I charge a median or below median rent and simply ask my tenants to look after the properties. They're well maintained. I'm happy to do whatever maintenance is required to keep them in good and livable condition. Generally, my tenants have stayed for many years and I'm glad I've been able to give them good homes. I'm so sad to hear you've had such bad luck with rentals, Andrew. There are good landlords out there, he says, and I don't understand landlords who treat tenants badly. If you work with people... They generally work with you too, so everyone wins. Kind regards from Anon. What do you reckon, mate? Has he made the case? Have you changed your mind? Oh, man, there's just so many uh, points in there. <laughs> there's lots there, isn't so there? So there's a lot. Um, Pick a couple for me. Uh, okay, well, I, look, I, I actually I actually agree with a lot of that. I mean, you've made mm. the point before too. Leverage really does change the equation. Yeah, um, And and when you throw in some well, very- Well, potentially, but yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and you throw in some very favourable tax treatments on that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 it makes- You don't need some, some very big nominal gains for the gain on your equity component to be really, really impressive. So I, I, I 100% agree with, with all of that. And it's why I think it's not- It's far less reckless to leverage- uh, into property than it is into shares because you don't enjoy those same benefits with shares. So there's no argument from from me at all. In fact, on 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 that point, except okay. to say, <laughs> except to say, here's the sting in the tail. Go on. Well, I mean, 
this again, it's just fact, right? So we can get to probabilities of future outcomes later, but but leverage fact cuts both ways. Mm. So in a falling market, I know that's just like outside of the realm of, of um, <laughs> you know, possibility as far as most Australians are concerned. But, you know, if, if we were to see uh, any kind of material fall, call it a 10, 20% fall, people who have high degrees of leverage are going to be wiped out. Mm. It's not going to be any equity, right? Yep. Um, and that can really, really hurt. It hasn't happened yet, you know? So that's not evidence of anything it's happened actually lots of times in histories in lots of other mm. jurisdictions around the world it's happened here before <laughs> um uh it just hasn't happened lately so i look, i don't want to get into the debate as to how likely it is or isn't to happen but it could happen and just be aware of that potential mm. it's mm. not yep. a one-way bet that you got, yes. it only has a benefit like it, there is a downside and, and an investor should always consider that what if and and the and you might see it says a very small chance, ch- uh, chance. But if if we were to see um, you know, I don't know what fifteen percent drawdown on mm, on, a, mm. on on your property and you're leveraged to a pretty high degree, you're going to have your equity equity wiped out, pretty much, right? So it's, that's there, is, it's, it's like a hundred percent loss. Is is there a, is there a likelihood in your mind though, mate? That's permanent. I mean, it's almost it's like saying you know, if shares fall thirty percent, like or forty percent, like they did during during the worst of COVID, that you know you could lose your money, therefore don't buy shares. Is mm. it fair to say, as a as a devil's advocate, that that's looking only at the short term downside rather than a five, ten, fifteen, twenty year holding period where you might have a fifteen percent fall at some point during that, like with shares, but over time, if as long as that's not permanent or you're foreclosed on in the in the interim then, you know, th- yeah. that's unlikely to be point. a permanent problem. Is, is that yeah. – I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm curious as to your – No, no, no. no. It's, an excellent, it's an excellent point. If you can service um, the loan throughout that, then that's fine. Mm. Uh, never never a forced seller be, right? Like that mm-hmm. is just a golden rule of investment. 100%. Yep. Uh, you know, yep. whenever when, – and that's, that's why leverage is particularly dangerous on the market because yes, you could say the correct. same thing, right? Markets always go up. It's like, 100%. well, great. But if you, you're, you're at a margin call and you're forced to sell, you're never going to participate in that. So you're, mm. you make an excellent point. So as long as you can be pretty sure in, in the other income that you derive being able to sustain that, then I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I think, you, I think you can ride that through. Just make sure that that is the case because if you lose your job or you have some health scare <laughs> or something, right. then, then again, that's you know, right. it, it, yeah. it might not happen. Or if interest rates go up very significantly as, as they have and, and it's sort yeah. of like the yeah. maths was based on a certain, well, I can shoulder this degree of repayments. Again, mm-hmm. I, I think these are all very reasonable points, but here's probably the bigger one that, that is made is that we have gone through a multi-decade period, a very high single-digit, Returns yep. on on property. forty years probably I think arguably early eighties yep. 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 like bunch of, bunch of structural reasons for that um, mm-hmm. one a very like up until recently but very long and steady decline in interest rates the rise of the two income household the the deregulation of the bank and relaxation and lending requirements all of these things any lever that could be pulled has been pulled right and that's <laughs> yeah, right. that's yep. that's been a factor of that and that that is fantastic yep. uh, if you're in if you're in property. But let's just do rather than trying to get to prediction games here. Let's just let's just follow some basic logic here. So let's say that um, we'll get an Excel sheet out, and let's just say that uh, average property. We'll go with Sydney because it's just easy. A million dollar average property, and let's grow that at seven percent per annum, and we just draw that out into infinity. So we get a certain shaped curve, and let's also 
say, well, what are the incomes of uh, the average person? How's that likely to grow? Now, I don't think anyone <laughs> anyone feel, figures that in, uh, wages, incomes are going to grow at anywhere near 7%. It's certainly not the right. case historically, right? Uh, probably 3% is about as good as it might get. Uh, but let's call it three and a half, right? Just to be, just to keep the maths easy. Mm-hmm. So every year that goes by on our little Excel spreadsheet on our chart, those two lines get further and further and further away. And that's right. actually been happening for a while. Now, at what point does that become unsustainable? Well, that's a matter of opinion and we can debate that. Is it now? Is it in 10 years? Is it in 20 years? But I mean, logically, if you follow that through, you get to a point where the average house is 200 times the average income. And is that unsustainable? I'd say well before that, but you might say no. Okay, well, is it at 400 times? At, at a point, <laughs> there is a point is all I'm saying, right? Yeah, and, yeah. And, I, and I feel as though this comes to the argument here is we have this, um, it's the turkey analogy, right? It's just like the, the farmer's <laughs> never been anything but kind to me, therefore he's a good guy until he chops my head off at, at Thanksgiving, right? So it's sort of yeah, like when, yeah. when you look historically – um, yeah, it hasn't been a problem. In fact, if you were to go back in the time machine, what was the smart move to do? The smart move was to buy anything you could get your hands on, leverage up to the absolute <laughs> eyeballs yeah. and YOLO, YOLO into it. And in fact, you would have done incredibly well. So it's like me going into the casino, putting it all on back, black, black gets spun up on the roulette wheel and me going, see? Now, <laughs> I can I can keep doing that. Maybe I'll get lucky mm-hmm. two times, three times, four, but, but, but again, at... Each successive spin, I am, I am, I am more and more likely to undo everything. And my yeah. concern yeah. is, is that we have an entire generation of middle-aged people now, who through their entire working lives have been hammered into them that the government will underwrite underwrite your investment, um, will be incredibly accommodative. Property prices only go up. In fact, they only go up very significantly, and you don't have to worry about anything. It never goes down now. I hope that's true. I don't think mathematically it can be true given a long enough time. And it, there will come a point where I guess where I my, – my base case scenario, it isn't actually for a crash. It's like at best we muddle through and we might get some very mediocre growth, nominal growth, not real growth, mm-hmm. but nominal growth in, in pricing. And mm-hmm. for the person who's pretty highly leveraged in that, one, again, let's let's not do what most property investors do and exclude all our costs. When we look at all in costs, you know, the internal rate of return based on cash flow in versus cash flow out, I think it's pretty likely that it'll be a very ordinary return. You're not wiped out. It's not a crash. We're not all living in tents, but I don't think it's going to be proven to be any anybody who's sort of made a relatively highly geared investment in the last three, four, five years. I think when the dust settles and we look back on it in ten years' time. I think the best case you can you can go for is really middling kind of return, frankly. And again, that's just maths, oh, right? Because yeah, because where, where, where does right. where where does the money yep, come yep. from? The money the yep. money came from credit. It was it was entirely a credit driven thing. We all bid up housing because we the banks all gave us lots and lots of money to do so. Right. Now, I I think that's uh, that's reversing, and I think also that you know in, incomes aren't going to grow to the extent necessary to make up for the shortfall. So that's kind of where you find yourself, right? And let's hope that that is a, like that. That's that's a good scenario relative to the alternative of <laughs> of things. Even if it drops three percent per annum yeah. for five years, yeah. that's going to be brutal in terms of what your actual equity scenario is like. So yeah, 
So that's 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 my point here. It's it, and it's not about property, right? Let me be clear. It's about any investment. If you want to take a highly leveraged investment that is predicated on a minimum level of growth, where it is already stretched against any kind of reasonable metric that you want to consider historically, geographically, whatever. And again, doesn't mean that it can't go. You, you can't pull that rubber band a bit tighter. But we're at the top end of the curves on all of all, you know debt to income. Um, uh, 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 rents to income, any kind of metric you want to you, you sort of look at, it's way up there. Um, and and for those that are expecting the next twenty years to replicate the last twenty years, I just don't see how it happens. So best of luck to everyone. <laughs> um, and again, let me just—I'm sorry, man. I'm going on for a while here, but let oh, me okay. just let me just say here, I want to really make this clear. If you're looking for a house to live in, that is a very different calculation. Yeah, good point. Because of the good non-financial point. gain that you get from that. So yep. I would say to anyone, if you can and frankly, buy a tax-free house, gain too, by the way. <laughs> right. And don't even forget about the gain. If I, can, if I can have the security that comes from having my own house and I don't have to stretch myself too thin and I don't have to work until I'm 78 to get that, then you should do it. Not because of the gain that you might make eventually, but because of the wonderful... Um, utility that you get out of that, but if you're talking about it purely from an investment, I think it's I think it looks pretty ordinary relative to what other alternatives that are out there on a risk adjusted basis. Yep, I will I'll make a couple of comments because you've you've done a, a beautiful job, mate. Um, I think the questioner is right in one important aspect, which is it will it may it, it does depend in my view on which property you buy. And I actually agree with him probably yeah. more than – no, actually not more than individual shares because some really crappy you – know, you've, you've said before, even, I think it was even last week you mentioned, most companies in the ASX lose to the market. Uh, most, not 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 half, like you know, more than most and immediately more than most because – more than half because that's just the way these things – the winners tend to win. And you can buy the market and get a return, uh, including the winners and the losers, or you can try and pick stocks as we do and, and, and try and find just the winners or, or you know, as many of the winners and as few of the losers as possible. I would suspect that there will be for decades, at least a couple of decades, plenty of market-beating properties, <laughs> same as there are market-beating stocks. Uh, would I buy the property market? No. Um, do I? Th- would I say to people, don't bother looking for a property because you'll never find one that's good enough to invest in? No. Uh, when we're comparing these things, we're looking at the property market and the share market and comparing those two averages. And I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that pre-leverage, I'll get to leverage, pre-leverage, um, for all the reasons you said, mate, very, very, very unlikely, not impossible, nothing's impossible, very, very, very unlikely that, that property beat shares over an extended period of time from here for exactly mm-hmm. the reasons you've highlighted. So I think those things are absolutely true. Um I will say, you speak about doing an Excel spreadsheet, mate. I've alluded to this before. Um, my wife and I, you know, when, when property prices started to go down, we kind of got a little bit greedy and rubbed our hands together and said, hey, maybe there's going to be some, some, some value here. We should start looking around. And so I pulled out a spreadsheet and I put, to your point about the cost, mate, I put in, uh, you know, the upfront costs, the deposit costs. I put in, you know, the repayments over a period of time. I put in, uh, you know, taxes payable, the taxes saved. Also, by the way, franking credits received or franking credits foregone. Um, if you're if you're getting dividends from your shares, uh, and kind of try to try to work it out, and mm. I just couldn't without making some significant assumptions, couldn't make the numbers work to make the average property better than the average market return. Yeah. Again, there, there may still be, there, will, there will be. I guarantee there are properties now. Someone's buying a property today 
that will go on to be market beating because in the right place, the right price, with the right circumstances, it's by definition, yes. you know, average or averages. So, and then therefore, you know, a, a reasonable portion of the outcomes must be above average, a reasonable below average, and and what's left is in the middle. Uh, so, you know, I, I there will be there will be individual properties that will beat the share market over the next twenty years mm. if you bought them both today. I, yeah. I'm almost by definition, but yeah, but the the market, but it's a harder effort <laughs> when you're you know in a market that's going to overall not beat shares in my view pre leverage. What I want to come back with leverage, though, is just to say, I, I put the effect of leverage in. I literally said, okay, if the deposit was just this and we paid it off. And what, the thing is, your, your point about cash flow is really real. And it's hard to do in a single podcast quickly, but and I don't want to spend too much time on it. We've got more things to talk about. But, um, uh, you know, any money you're using repayments is money you could otherwise be not using for repayments, but actually investing more money in more shares over time. And it was that compounding that eventually started to run away with things. Now, if you find the right property, it'll beat the average market return. By the way, mm-hmm. if you beat the, if you find the right share, you'll also beat the average market return. So it is an opportunity cost thing. Um, I do agree a little bit with the question of two, mate, just the other thing quickly about population growth. To the extent populations keep growing and are meaningfully uh, above our ability to, to house them, frankly, for any, any medium term a period of time, uh, that will continue to put upward pressure on prices. I don't think it's enough. I think, it, I think it probably prevents meaningful declines because there's always someone who will happily be the underbidder uh, on, on the next house, the next house, the next house, short of economic calamity. Um, uh, so, so I do think there's some element of, um, I could say, support for prices. I'm not saying prices can't fall. But I think there's, there's that, that latent demand, I think, is going to be there for quite a while. So um, yes, that probably helps. I agree. But you know, agree. To, to your point, mate, it's not about property for me either. I literally got a spreadsheet, a massive big spreadsheet, and trying to work it out, you know, what would it cost to pay and all that stuff. And if and when a property, you know, gives me a, a green rather than a red on that, on that spreadsheet, then we'll do it because we don't care where the money comes from. If we're making money, mm-hmm. we're making money. Um, but we haven't been able to find a property that met those criteria um, without making reasonably heroic capital growth assumptions, which, as you've beautifully pointed out, are going to be hard to come by given where incomes are already at and given how much of our income is already going to mortgage repayments. Yeah. Yep. Abs- I mean, so so well put. <laughs> so just be hey, careful. Yep, just be careful. And I, I, closing comments is, again, it's not about what I think, you know. It's, it's really just about, and this is true of any investment class, just always consider mm. – that the past, and they make you say this, right? The regulators make you say that the past <laughs> is no guarantee of the future, yeah, right? Exactly. And they say it for very good reasons. So just be careful to extrapolate oh, yeah. a very unusual period and and never structure yourself. I mean, you might have the utmost confidence in, in the investment and that's great. Like we all, we all invest on our convictions, but just allow for the downside. Right, like just just be Good aware point. of that, and if 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 it happens, it might not. But if it does, can I can I do that and not be a forced seller? And that yeah, then, right. then, then we're going to have no argument really. And then each, well, because you can stop investing in shares in year six if you want to for a year. You can't stop making your repayments. Right, exactly. So any any any, and that's not about property. We, we've said before, it's also things like margin lending for shares and all that kind of stuff. Um, sure. Uh, you, you talk about not being a forced seller. The other one, the other Buffettism, which we haven't. Throwing our obligatory buffer quote in yet is, uh, you know, he says, never rely on the kindness of strangers. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, pl- please, Mr. Manager, don't foreclose on my house is a very, very, very tough conversation to have. Oh, and the banks are bastards, let's be honest. Like, they're not, they're, they are. When, That's Page, you know, P-A-G-E, Andrew. Yep. Oh, don't get me started. I'm having a bit of a fight <laughs> with my bank at the moment. No, but, you know, it's just, it is, uh, they, they're the kind of people that will give you an umbrella when it's sunny and take it away the moment it starts yeah. to look cloudy. So just be careful. 
I imagine people can hear my dog bark in the background, so my apologies for that too. We will push on unless you <laughs> really lose it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bloody dog. Hey, um, mate, <laughs> we spent 20 minutes on property. I'm going to ask you not to spend 20 minutes on Bitcoin. Can you do that for me? Well, I did 20 minutes on property, so I'll try. I'll try. Please do. Uh, <laughs> Emad sends a message and says, um, thanks again for the informative and enjoyable podcast. I'm now a regular listener and hope to become a richer listener as a result. This is a record I live in hope. But there is always a but. I disagree with the straw man on Bitcoin. <laughs> the way I see it, says Join Emad, not me, don't, don't blame me. A geek designs an algorithm to put data packets on the internet and people treat the packets like money. They even call it a cryptocurrency. Now the, now the dog has really issued, worked, worked up. <laughs> if it's not issued by a central bank, it is not a currency, says Emad. The fake name here is a huge red flag. Collecting Bitcoin is like collecting baseball cards, he reckons. Cards can be a good investment for a time, but the, that's the luck of the draw and depends on the bigger fool theory. At least with the cards, you can show them to friends and get bragging rights. You cannot do so with Bitcoin. Cards win. I would still not invest in them. I understand there's a need for cryptocurrencies, says Emad. Central banks will eventually issue their own. Once you can pay your taxes with them, I will take them seriously. Until then, I'm happy to watch from the sidelines. I may be missing something here, he says. I'll be happy to be told how I am wrong. Andrew, you have no more than five minutes and I will cut you off if I have to. Go. Yeah, you're going to have to. I mean, it's too... <laughs> I was listening to a pod the other day on this exact topic and the the person being interviewed made the really good point that unfortunately when it comes to this stuff, there's no there's no um, soundbite that's going to do it justice. Like, <laughs> it, it does not exist, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and the best analogy I can give here is let's go back to 1993 and have someone explain to you in a pithy short sentence why the internet is a big deal. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, right. It's, it's just really yeah, so I, yeah. So I can't yeah. do it. Like, like, so when you say you've only got five minutes, I, I mean, in fact, I don't think I could do it in, ten, in 20 minutes. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to – I'm not even going to try. Um, I, I, I guess the one point I would make is that what people, I think, are mistaken in is assuming that there needs to be some – authority that anoints this as legitimate. Right. So so um, I don't collect Barbies. I went and saw the Barbie movie the other day, actually pretty oh, really took my little girl and her friend and I really loved nice. it. I thought it, thought it was really oh, great. Dad actually. points. Well done. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was just great. Really good messaging. But you know, nice. I, like bit of plastic as far as I'm concerned, I yeah, absolutely yeah. worthless. There are literally hundreds of thousands of people around the world who collect these things and they have real value. Mm-hmm. Now, am I, am I, who am I to say that they're wrong? I mean, they're well, not. Right. It actually goes even further than that. It's actually, I mean, it's gold. Speaking of digital gold, I mean, the, the, right. you know, there have been, there have been um, sovereign currencies uh, for, I don't know how many centuries, uh, but gold existed long before that. Uh, it didn't need, and it still doesn't need an authority or a central uh, issuing agency. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it, if, and this is what I think people miss with Bitcoin is that, y- you, you can stay on the side. Like no, no, I've, I'm the last person to convince anyone to try and do. It. I don't do it if you if if you don't understand it or you're not comfortable with it. My, for the love of God, don't do it. Right. But 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 the fact, and this is fact, is that as every day passes, the level of adoption increases. More and more people are doing it. I don't know. Maybe it levels out tomorrow, and it remains this hyper niche kind of trading card kind of thing. Maybe that's that's entirely a possibility. But, you know, we've now got BlackRock, the world's biggest asset manager, preparing for it. 
We've got Larry Fink, who in 2016 was calling it an index of money laundering, now saying it's a really good hedge. <laughs> I missed right? that quote. That's brilliant. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've got, you've got right. uh, right. three or four presidential candidates talking about it at rallies. You've got mm. Fortune 500, like significant, you know, not a majority, but a, a non-material percentage of Fortune 500 companies with it on their balance sheet. Now, mm. the trend is going in one direction there. And yeah. it might be that, you know, 50% of the world never gets involved. 70% of the world never gets involved. But it just as long as more people do and they find it valuable and they get utility out of it. And here's the other thing too. Unlike a trading card or something, there is actual genuine utility in it. And again, I don't have the time to get, get into that. Um, uh, yeah. Then it's going to be a thing, right? <laughs> and, and, and all I would so I'll, I'll finish by saying is everyone gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve, right? And so for some people, it, it, it won't, you know, it'll that never be like, That sounds like a crypto laserized meme, that one, mate. It is very much, very. it's all memes all the way down, by the way. Society is memes all the way down. But so, so, so don't do it. It's not for you at this yeah, point. Yeah. Um, and in you, you, mm. you may find that it is in the future. You may find it's not. But until then, don't do a damn thing with it. Stay away. Well done. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to let you keep going very briefly, mate, because the next question was from Craig. And nicely answered. Thank you for, for doing it concisely, mate. I appreciate it. Not, not because I don't want you to talk about Bitcoin, just we need to talk about more than just Bitcoin. Uh, it's hard to do. Probably the conversation was long it's enough, really I know. Yeah, yeah. This, is, this, is a single, this is a single question from Craig relating to Bitcoin again, which hopefully is, has, a, has a single, you know, short-ish answer. Hi, Scott and Andrew. Could Andrew please address the Bitcoin scalability problem? He has B, S and P all in uppercase. I assume it's a thing. No Bitcoin thesis is complete without addressing this issue. Globally, he says Bitcoin can only process seven transactions per second. This is hard coded and cannot be changed. As a result, confirmation times get slower with increased adoption. The, the purported solution, the Lightning Network operates off chain and defeats the purpose of using Bitcoin in the first place. Kind regards, Craig. Uh, so I think I think the, the the problem is at a surface level at least relatively self uh, self evident. What is the solution, mate? And does the Lightning Network solve, or is it by definition self defeating because it actually takes things away from the blockchain? Um, it's really good. I mean, you know, I, I will start by saying 2013 called and it wants its fud back. Um, <laughs> fud being fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Really good, valid points, but like the, we're at a, in 2023, we're at a point where like these have been so thoroughly uh, answered as to we, oh, okay. we need, yeah, they they really have. And, and I, I asked all the same questions, and I think any any smart person will ask those questions. Yeah. And if you're only just coming across it, I don't want to be critical here. I mean, it's exactly the right questions yeah, yeah, to totally. ask. Not only yeah. does it process very slowly, but it usually you want to wait for at least. Gosh, I would say three or four blocks to to be um, confirmed. So it can take it can take like an hour to confirm it. You can't buy coffee with this this kind of stuff on the on the base chain. So the solution is it scales in layers. That's true of the internet. It's true of all technologies. It's true of the current financial system. I mean, none of us are transacting on Swift when I buy my coffee. And if the world yeah. decided to process all of its commercial activities on Swift, I mean, the Swiss network wouldn't wouldn't handle it. But it's perfectly adequate as a base layer of of, of money, right? Um, in fact, Bitcoin's already faster than that on 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 that basis, I believe. So you're right. Um, it needs a scaling solution. There are multi. There's, no, there's liquid. There's lightning. There's a whole bunch of competing ones. Are you comfortable with, with the scaling solution, given the things you've talked about about it being anonymous and uh, provable, that kind of stuff? Does does moving it from that from Bitcoin to another layer 
not undermine at least some of it? Or, and I'm not, I'm not, it's a genuine question. I'm assuming it's also yeah, an answer. Yeah, yeah, great, so great, great I'm asking it partly to be devil's advocate. What, what, given, given all the purported benefits of Bitcoin, how can they not be given up when you have to leave that layer to mm. do whatever you're doing? Yeah, so this is where it's going to get a little bit technical, but it, it doesn't leave the layer. And so so okay, right. Light, Lightning just locks up the Bitcoin on-chain uh, through a multi-sig solution. So I mean, I'm already going to get t- complicated, but it, <laughs> it doesn't. So so okay, the, cool. so I can close my Lightning channel at any point in time and settle it without you without you, the other person say so or whatever. It, it's it's it it layers on top of it. It's not it's not right. separate from. So the so Lightning is also open source. Uh, Lightning is also a protocol. It's not owned or controlled by anyone, and it's very mm-hmm. much tied to the to the base chain. So, so it's not a separate. It, it's a separate thing, in the same way that like when I go to the internet, when I say to someone, you know, jump online, you probably think of mm-hmm. opening a browser, yeah, like right, a right. Chrome or whatever, and you are online, right? Uh, in mm-hmm. every in a very real sense. But the protocol that you're actually that the computers are actually talking with themselves at the base layer is is what's mm. really going on there. They're not. They're sort of they're tied together. They're not. They're not separate. Yeah. Okay. If, but you don't give up any of the benefits of Bitcoin by using those other layers. What does that mean? The one there's always always trade offs in everything. Okay. In engineering, in in this, <laughs> in the regular fight, and so the. There are there is less sovereignty, I guess you could probably argue, uh, okay, right. if you're using Lightning. Um, there's slightly less security. In mm-hmm. the same way that if I had a million dollars in cash, it's probably dumb to put that in a suitcase under my bed. But yeah. if I'm going to walk around the street with a hundred bucks in my wallet, it's probably not that <laughs> big a deal. And so I've okay. got I've got my my the majority of my Bitcoin on chain in a hardware yep. wallet. And I've got a bit of walking around cash in my Lightning wallet. That's probably right, nice, okay. probably the way to think about it. So Lightning facilitates nice, like commerce. Yep, and 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 Bitcoin facilitates the base layer. But look, I, I would just I just say to it was a Craig. Um, just yep, look into it. Like there's a lot of good material that's out there, and once you understand that, uh, yep. the, the technology, you'll you'll get that it's actually a really really interesting solution and it, it that it, that itself is growing at a very very phenomenal rate and I, I was in if i was in um <laughs> if i was a western union i'd be really scared put it that way <laughs> <laughs> motley fool money for more subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener Hey, yep, let's change let's change tack yeah let's change with tack. something for you something for me and something for the listeners uh, we have a question from Matt who writes, saying, Hi, Scott Ram and the Pod Machine. I'm telling you, mate, they love the Pod Machine. Scott, you'll love this, says Matt. I'm 28 and I've been investing for a few years. Ram, you'll love this. I'm 28 and I've been investing in crypto for a few years. <laughs> Sorry, Scott, he says. <laughs> Scott, you'll also love that I'm a subscriber to Motley Fool Share Advisor. <laughs> so, thank you, Matt. Some, something something for, for everyone. Well done. Yeah. Well done, well done. Now he's talking about share advisor here, mate. I don't want to. I don't generally love talking about inside baseball stuff because I don't want to be, you know, sort of be promoting our, our, our business and also uh, making it not relevant for everybody else. But I, so I'm going to ask the question the way it's written, uh, and then I'll invite you to be as generic about the answer as you want to be outside. Just obviously a, a, an individual investing service. Mm-hmm. Matt says, and this is uh, people can relate with the rising costs of the world. I'm having to lower the amount I'm investing every month, which sucks. But I also have to feed a fiancé and a relatively new child. And boy, can he eat. 
Uh, Matt, I hardly endorse uh, feeding your family. It's a very, very good strategy, even if it means you have to invest a few less dollars. He says, with Share Advisor, we get five best buyers now and one recommendation each month. My question is, how should person X, this is me in brackets, allocate capital across the month? This is, of course, not financial advice, says Matt. I can't invest enough month to month to cover all the buyers and all the recommendations. So if they already exist in the portfolio, do I allocate to the lowest percentage weighting? If they are new, do I prioritize these? If one stock is down by a larger percentage, do I dollar cost into this and lower my average cost? I appreciate the advice and the car drives filled with informative rants and tangents on my way to footy training. Cheers, Matt. Matt, go and give him hell on the field. Um, it's a good question, Ram. So uh, again, I, this is a bit about share advisor, but um, but it's also hopefully a, a, an interesting question for for anyone thinking about building a portfolio. When they're presented with good ideas, should they buy the newest ones? Should they allocate to the lowest weightings and kind of you know kind of reweight their portfolio from the bottom? Should they look at the biggest losers and add to those to bring the cost base down? How should they think about taking new ideas into an existing portfolio? Yeah, I mean, it depends on the nature of the service, but um, given what, what I know about ShareAdvisor and, and most sort of newsletters, I, I've, I've long said that I treat them as an idea generator. Mm. And here, dear subscriber, are some of our ideas. And I think that the best way to to make advantage of, of those services is to go, thank you very much. You've saved me going through 2,000 stocks on the ASX. You've given me a short list. <laughs> and now I'm going to go off and decide which one is best for me. And it's almost a point where I need to get this tattooed on me because I say it so often. But it's, <laughs> you, you, can, you can borrow an idea, but you can't borrow the conviction. Nice. Uh, and so, you know, Scott says on Share Advisor that he likes this. Oh, great, I'm going to buy it. You wait what happens and when that goes down 20%, as, as some of them invariably will, right? Like it's just going to happen, even if, you, even if you're subscribing to Warren Buffett. It's just it's inevitable. And at that point, it's just like, oh, now what do I do? So it's kind of like I feel as though you take the idea, you look into it yourself and you you build your own conviction. The only other alternative is I'm just going to go for this, like, uh, verbatim. I'm just. I'm going to do mm. it, literally everything you say, and I'm just going to go in in the, in the same way that the scorecard is structured. If I want to replicate the, the scorecard, I'm going to do exactly what the scorecard does, which is each month I'm going to buy the latest recommendation. Um, I definitely would not allocate based on the uh, which one is up or down the most. Definitely wouldn't do that because that says nothing about value. That just says what's happened on the market lately. But you, you'll articulate it better than me, mate. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, uh, again, I don't really want to make it about our service because it, it's boring for people. And I don't want to be, you know, look like I'm, I'm pushing this stuff. Um, but yes, I, that's that's exactly my approach. We, our monthly recommendations are our best idea. Sometimes they're brand new. Sometimes they're existing. Our best buyers now are, hey, if you've already got enough of the stock, or you don't like it, to your point, because you've done your research, you're like, yeah, don't love that one. What else could I buy? Um, it, it's it's a it's basically a, an additional way to think about if you've got more money to invest, then you don't want to buy the recommendation. You bought it already, or you already owned it. What else could I buy? That's what it is. So it's a, it's a it's a best of the rest list, um, and so that's how I encourage our members to use that because that just makes sense to to me and to us. Um, the one thing I would say to Matt is don't 
chase on that's down by the biggest amount for the sake of it. Um, it's only ever about what the future looks like. Um, so, you know, adding to your biggest losers can be you can work sometimes, doesn't work other times, um, but often shares are down for good reasons. So just be a little bit careful not to do that as arbitrarily as you otherwise might. I, I personally, I do look at big losers for opportunities because if the market's, you know, really hating on something, I get a chance to buy it. So I wouldn't ignore it. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. If something's gone from five to two, uh, if, I, if I'd bought it at one, I'm up 100%. If I bought it at five, I'm down by 60%. Mm. Not, you know, not, neither, is, neither is right or wrong. Uh, they, they were what they were, they are what they are. The only question is what comes next. So it can be an opportunity to look for some stuff that maybe the market's hating on that you can buy cheaply uh, while the sentiment is against it. So I wouldn't ignore that, but uh, I would never ever make that the basis of my of my investing. Um, the other one, Matt, for you is, and not, I can't give you personal advice, but um, think about portfolio size uh, and weighting is a good way to think about it. Um, but I wouldn't just chase the lowest one. I, I would I would not add to one that I felt was uncomfortably high. So I take the again the reverse approach that you're taking is I wouldn't say I'll pick the lowest one. Add to that, uh, you don't they don't all need to be the same weighting. Um, sometimes again the the bigger weightings are because the company's doing well and the market's recognizing that. Right? Uh, if if Amazon had gone from you know a dollar to two dollars to five to ten to twenty to eighty, if you'd bought it at a buck, um, the shares went from eighty then to whatever they are now. That that's you know you miss out on a massive opportunity if you said well they're already up and they're it's already big I'll go and do something else so if it's too big don't add to it you don't don't unbalance your portfolio but uh, again I I wouldn't choose arbitrary rules I would start with which companies do I feel best about for the long term whether they're new or existing uh, add that unless you have too much of it already or unless there's some other reason there's better opportunities elsewhere but don't uh, don't get stuck in the past is my is my general advice on that one yep anything else on that. No, I think you nailed it. Beautiful. Uh, mate, uh, I've got a question from Willow that I'm trying to bring up. Here we go. He says, oh, this is interesting. Um, so he says, hi, Scott. I've been pondering a question on the back of your latest Ausbiz chat with Carl Capolingua. Can I text you a question? Says, of course you can. He says, so clearly you and Carl have completely polar opposite investing styles. I think I recall Carl saying one day he might only have uh, – oh, this is my screen's reset. Sorry, mate. Um, uh, here we go. <laughs> Dear, so Facebook is resetting my page every time I try and scroll up. I'll hold it here. No, it's not going to work. Um, anyway, basically, uh, Willow wants to know, are there any times when we would use, or I would use, but I want to ask you too, Ram, uh, charts, technicals to suggest an entry or exit point from a stock? No. <laughs> Why not? Um... It's always a controversial stuff. It's like they say never talk about religion or politics. <laughs> I think in ours, like, or never charting. talk about charting. Like, it just, it's just. <laughs> Go on. And I just, I, like, as a younger man, I used to love to get into the debates. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Um, you know, you, everyone needs to look at, there's, there are 4,000 ways to skin a cat when it comes to investing. And there's a whole bunch of legitimate stuff and mm. there's even more crap that's out there and we all have to go on a journey and figure out what not only what is legitimate but what is legitimate for the kind of person we are not just in Mm. terms of our goals and financial situation but the kind of temperament that we have and the kind of things that we're trying to do so straw man we're very broad church we've got a bunch of guys on there who love their charts and i wish them well Mm. you know and there's a bunch of guys who look at the stuff i'm holding and think i'm an idiot and probably right you know it's, it's it's each to their own and in my personal journey, 
And I've, I've looked at it plenty of times, especially when I first got going and this was very enamored by it. The, the prospect, the allure of being able to not just find good businesses, but use this to time my entry. I could never do it. I could just never do it. That was, certainly to a point where it was statistically valid. And when you look at some of the studies that have been published on this, I don't see any evidence for it. When you look around the world of successful investors, right? Like just just look at the world's greatest investors. I can't think of a single trader, a technical analyst. There's probably yeah, one right. or two. I, I'm, 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 I should be fair here. I'm sure there are a couple. That, like law of large numbers, right? There's going to be some out there. I'm, I'm sure of it. But when you think of the Peter Lynch's, the Philip Fisher's, the Warren Buffett's, the whatever, like they all are business-oriented investors. The people who have compounded mm. at attractive rates for very long periods of time. In fact, not only do they not do it, but as far as I'm aware, most of them just actively say, don't waste your time. Buffett, Buffett used to chart stuff on uh, graph paper back in the day. <laughs> do you remember uh, that? Like he did, like he, do, it's, do, it's, in the, it's in his um, biography. Yeah, yeah, and, um, yeah. We all dabble with it, right? We all we all dabble with it. So look, that's why I keep it short. The initial answer was the best one. No, because it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't work for me, and I'm yet to be convinced by it. Um, I might be wrong, but don't send me any letters. I don't want to like you know just do what you want to do, but just make sure that you're comfortable in rec- in 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 your belief that there is decent legitimacy to it. For me, there's not, but there might be for others. Yeah, that's very diplomatic, mate. Um, I I think we all understand the allure of it, right? If you could somehow work out a systemic way to apply some logic, some thinking, some an approach that worked regularly, you could just kind of roll it through the Xerox machine, you know, and kind of it, it'd be it'd be uh, you know it, it's a it's an option or a potential solution, a potential way of solving a problem. And I really, really get it, as you said. I equally am not 100% sure it can be reasonably, reliably used. I think – here's the thing. I'm also a reasonably keen student – a very keen student of behavioral psychology. I have no trouble believing that people behave like lemmings and that – when everyone's running one way, you know, we see it all the time with, with over and under, you know, uh, shooting of, of, of markets, you know, where people get super excited, people get, you know, super disappointed, all that kind of stuff. Like it's all that, it's mm. all up and down crap, you know, and you kind of think, mm. excuse my language, and you kind of think, well, do I really want to, you know, so, so is, it, is, it, is there something going on there? Yes. Is there something, in, I mean, contrarian investors almost kind of, they don't use charts, I hope you're even, even using this in the same context, but they're looking for, you know, they, they want to do the reverse. When everyone's mm-hmm. getting excited, you can then sell. So they're saying, the crowd's saying one thing, I can do something else. Or in the, in the, you could flip around and say, well, the crowd's moving, let's move with them. When the crowd stops going that way, then we'll, we'll, pull, out, we'll pull out and do something different. That, that back and forth should have some, some validity, I actually think. Here's the thing, though. When everyone's doing it the same way, where is your edge? What do you know differently? What are you doing differently to the rest of the market? Because if all you're doing is what everyone else is doing, then you're getting whatever else has got and you're back to an average. So just buy the ETF, just buy the index and be done. Yeah. And so while, I, while I, part of me thinks there is probably some directional validity, if you're the only person with the insight, is it possible you might use that systemically? Maybe, yeah. I mean, you know, Ben Graham used a very systemic approach. It wasn't charts, but it was buying businesses below their net asset value until everyone else did the same thing and that entire investing opportunity completely dissolved because there was no opportunity left because everyone arbitraged that away. Hmm. So 
my, my broadest thing is the more people that are trying to do it a certain way, the less chance there is opportunity left in it, even if, if there ever was in the first place. So back to your first question, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, think that's the, I think that's the important one. Mm. Hey, um, I, I will say just quickly, mate. So, um, so we've got, got a question from Ben. Ben asked also similarly about uh, what using charts. Um, uh, people, he said, I enjoy reading, watching, listening to quant traders explain and predict things through charts with all their wonderful and varied models. Um, I think there's a bit of sarcasm there. He says, uh, quote, the index has been range bound, but it's formed a heads, shoulders, knees, and toes pattern. And if you can break the 4,200 resistance level in the pike position, it will go on to do great things. Um, BS, he says. <laughs> so we've, we've, just, we've just covered exactly that, um, Ben. So I won't ask the question twice, except to say, uh, that Ben did me the the, the, the very solid favour of uh, taking his question, whacking a chat GPT and uh, doing it in the style of Adam Smith from The Wealth of Nations. Uh, I'm just going to read the first uh, the first paragraph just for, just for amusement. Mm. It came out, Esteemed companions, for numerous years a vexing query has incessantly plagued my thoughts, possessing an answer that ought to be glaringly evident, yet somehow eluding my grasp. Nevertheless, I am confident that such a conundrum shall present no challenge for astute individuals such as yourselves. And I just thought that was very funny. So well done, Ben. Very thank you good. for the uh, thank you for the question and enjoyed that very, very much. Hey, um, <laughs> Before you Dave, go on, very, on, on, yeah, very, very quickly, I, I have to share this story. Someone posted it on, oh, on Strawman, um, Fiedris, uh, the username. He said, I've just seen my wife's grandfather's portfolio. He's from the US. He's a truck driver and he's got four industrials left in it. These are companies I wasn't familiar with. Um, uh, Ingersoll, Rand, Lincoln Electric, oh, yeah. uh, you know, train technologies. Anyway, it's a 16-bagger, a 26-bagger, a 10-bagger, and a 15-bagger, right? Wow. So it's from a truck driver who, who didn't have any financial sort of experience <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And I said, well, that's amazing. I bet you he had lots of other losers and stuff in there. But the, the thing that he did well was he didn't take profits along the way. He didn't trade in mm -hmm. and out. He didn't trade yeah. the latest shiny thing. And it reminded me back in the day, I'm sure you did a few of these as well. We do like the trade shows, right? Where the mob that you're representing is there and a whole bunch of people walk through looking for the next way to turn lead into gold. And mm. I'd always get some young, it was always a guy, it was always young and they'd have some eight screen trading set up and the most sophisticated system that you could imagine. And, you know, they were never there the next year. Yet there was always the little old lady who <laughs> did right. nothing other than save a little yep. bit of the paycheck each yep. week, put it yep. into a range of stuff. Whole bunch did really ordinary, whole bunch mm -hmm. did really bad. And then there is just this handful that just, you just, your jaw would drop and you say, you bought CSL for how much? You know, or, you know, and, and, and all they did was, again, spend less than what they earned regularly invest that into a range of decent businesses and just let compounding do its thing. That's it. Yep. That is it. Now, someone approaches you and says, oh, but no, you can you can get, yeah, oh, absolutely, you should do that, but you can even do even better if you get managed mm -hmm. to time it better. Oh, and if you do this one under this structure and blah, 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 and you get, the sophistication gets layered and layered and layered and layered on top of it, and it actually doesn't tend to help you. And in fact, it's not just a criticism of I'll not, you know, pat you on your little darling head and say not for you, leave it to the big boys. It's like, no, <laughs> the big boys continually, and again, use the gendered term there very deliberately because it's always dudes. Like it's legion how often 
and significantly they underperform the market, despite the PhDs, despite the sophistication, despite the closer access to management, despite everything perhaps, else that they perhaps have. Perhaps because of those things, for what it's worth. Perhaps because of it. And then Action yeah. Man, another member said, actually reminds me of this story, he posted this wonderful link, a rural janitor and gas station attendant at age 92 left behind a fortune worth over $8 million, left it all to charity. And these stories are really everywhere. Ronald Reed was his name, and you can find a Wikipedia article on him. Same story. Yes. Same story, right? Keep it simple. And it's, it's, the most, it's the most, no one wants to be told how to get rich slow. Like it's just like no one's coming to my booth to hear that. Um, yeah, exactly. But at least what I'm selling is true. You can go to the get rich quick if you want and do all the other stuff because um, it's mm. so much more saleable. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. It just has that small little problem of not working. So, you know, keep, I, keep it real. Yeah. No, that's absolutely that's absolutely true. I'm going to add, by the way, you, you can say something about, about uh, fundamental investing. You can go buy an index, not buy, not pick a single stock, and do remarkably well. So, mm-hmm. if you're out there thinking we're just throwing stones at other people, um, you know, I, I have I have long said start with the, the market will do a wonderfully wonderful job for you. Mm-hmm. If you then want to add, fantastic, go for it. You don't need to. Don't make don't let anyone tell you you have to do it if it's if it's something you think is going to make a whole lot of sense for you and you're investing, you want to give it a go, I encourage you to give it a go if you think you're made for it, cut out for it. But uh, you will, either way, you'll do very, very, very well. Uh, just you buying will. an index or even just a representative sample of stocks and letting them, letting them do their thing. Yeah, and get on with life. Get on with life. Yep. Mate Dave says, hi, Andrew and Scott. I'm a long-term listener, first-time questioner. Thank you, mate. But I'm loving the podcast and envy the way you guys can simplify complex info and ideas for the layman. Dave, I give you let you a little bit of a secret, mate. I'm a very, very, very simple man, and so keeping things simple is just how I manage to get by in the world. So, but thank you, I appreciate the uh, assumption that I'm doing it deliberately. Uh, keep it up, he says, and thanks for all you do for those of us trying to navigate to retirement. So, mates and I have been debating a question. See, when you say things like that, guys, I want to know who's debating what and what the uh, what the uh, what the bet is. That um, I was hoping you could shed some light on. The question being. Here's the quote, Andrew. Mm-hmm. With higher interest rates at around 6% plus, would a long-term investor with another 20 years before retirement be better off paying down investment property debt or continuing to dollar-cost average into a share portfolio, mm. assuming the investment property is cash flow neutral? If we knew what the stock market interest rates were going to do, he says, in future, this would all be easy to figure out. However, <laughs> in the real world, I guess we have to develop our own thesis of what may or may not happen. Paying down debt is a guaranteed cost saving with, say, a tax rate of being 37%. But with investment interest being tax deductible, developing a thesis becomes tricky, especially when yeah. you're trying to consider a margin of safety. Yeah. So to pay down debt or invest in the future, and he puts one of those little emojis with a man with his hands in the air, that kind of the universal, I don't know, huh? gesture. <laughs> I'd be very grateful, says Dave, if you could share any general thoughts you have on this question or topic. Full on, Dave. What say you, great, mate? Great question. I mean, it, it depends is the answer. I mean, mm. you know, um, <laughs> it, it, the the tax deductibility is is a nice thing and that's something you've got to factor in. Um, yeah. Uh, but which which is going to grow more, the the market average or the capital value of your of the of the house in question? I don't know. I mean, with the with the comments earlier in the pod would probably belie my bias, which is I, <laughs> I, I feel as though, put it this way, long, long-term averages uh, here and, and other comparable places, property grows at about the rate of inflation, 
about three percent, four percent, if you're lucky. Uh, so that's that's I mean, that's what history says when it comes to the indices, and there are there is a churn within the industry uh, indices. Um, but again, I would say exactly <laughs> that's the point. Um, but they tend to grow at up a single digit, nine, ten, eleven percent, even. Um, so if you just want to extrapolate based on history, even allowing for a little bit of tax deductibility, I'd say continuing your dollar cost average is probably into shares is over a 20 year period, probably the way to go. I mean, interest rates will impact both asset classes. Um, so that's to be aware of. And I think the other thing outside of the pure monetary is the, sleep at night factor, which is super important. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I agree. If, if, if you can afford to pay some down, as Dave said, it's a guaranteed return on, on the home and it gives you a much more sleep, better sleep at night factor. Here's a wild thought. I'm going to blow everyone's mind here. Wouldn't it be great mm. to have an investment property that had a positive yield? Like, wow, you know, what? <laughs> we're so enamored with losing money each year and we're so, we're so impressed with ourselves if, we're, if we're, we're neutrally geared. It's like, no, go for it. Go for, I mean, if you pay some down and, and, you're, and, 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 the, and the price you pay for that, the punishment is, is that you get a positively yielding asset, I'd say it's a pretty good thing. I'd say it's a pretty good mm. thing. So there's no right or wrong answer with the way it's been framed. It depends, but I – and it depends on it, – it, it depends also on, on uh, how uh, – how much risk you want to take on it. I, I, I personally, it's just me, would probably err towards paying down some of the house. It's funny, you know, mate, I tend to agree with your conclusion. A couple of different thoughts uh, just as we wrap this up. Uh, first for me is the – we're talking about repayments here rather than the investment itself. So leverage goes away. Uh, and that's an important thing to think about when you're trying to differentiate between do I buy an investment property with leveraging at five to one or then how do I pay down the debt because the debt dollar for dollar uh, has no leverage attached to, you know, in itself, if that makes sense. So the dollar you pay off, you save the interest payment or the interest, the interest uh, uh, compound, if you like, but no more than that. Uh, with the, now, as you, as you rightly ask us, um, Dave, the, it depends on what tax rate you're on as to what the after-tax component of that is, but saving 6% and then a guaranteed 6% without any tax obligation, that starts to get up there. So that, that's that's a pretty attractive way to be. But the leverage itself doesn't exist. Then you go back and say, okay, now look at, look at the shares options. And again, on shares, you've got not only is it, you know, you've got a capital gains tax element if it grows, so think about that. Potentially though, if it's paying a dividend, the cash flow from that is also tax advantaged. So it is a really, really complex one. Yeah. Here's my general take. So first thing, I would start with you and with Ram. Marginal safety slash sleep at night, do that first. So I would want to be positively geared to Andrew's point, not only because it generates cash, but because it's a buffer if rates continue to go up because that gearing can go away quite quickly and all of a sudden you're in negative gearing again or negatively, a negative cash flow again. Mm. So think about that. I, I, would want, I would want to get ahead. After that, and this is where my take is a little bit different to others. You've got a fixed dollar debt, assuming the debt is manageable and the repayments are manageable, on, on a hopefully growing asset at whatever rate. So at some point, you've got a million dollar property, you've got $100,000 worth of debt. Uh, you don't pay a cent of that debt off in theory. You do, but you know, let's, let's just work it forward for fun. When it's worth $2 million, you still owe $100,000 worth of debt. So to some degree, you're saving the interest, absolutely, but the asset continues to grow 
separately without it. On the flip side, uh, buying more shares actually grows your equity pile because there is no leverage. And so the money you're at paying down off debt, yes, it reduces your cash outgoings in future, it reduces the amount of debt you have, it reduces your future interest bills, that's all true. Uh, if you're buying more shares, I mean, that's gonna compound at a faster rate, you're a much, much, much better uh, position. So that's kind of the, that, that, that's where I'm a little bit different. I, I, I think I would get ahead of the game on a, um, on a, on a pro- positive gearing, positive cash flow basis. I'm not sure, Ram, I wouldn't then though invest more in shares and let both grow independently and separately, maximizing the growth, assuming that all the other things are manageable. And again, it's not even necessarily a, it's partly a financial decision to my mind. It's far more than that. It's actually, it's both well, part financial decision. Mm-hmm. It's, it's partly behavioral psychology, knowing that adding to both over time generates more total equity value in the long run, in my opinion. I think that the, the the nub of it there is that assuming that everything else is manageable and comfortable. Exactly. That's literally the starting point. Without that, you don't, we don't even pass go. Exactly. Mate, I have thoroughly enjoyed spending my Sunday morning with you, at least virtually, at least metaphorically, and at least, uh, well, in a pre-recorded fashion. Uh, <laughs> if our listeners want to get in touch with us, are you, are you, on, uh, are you still on Elon's new thing called X? Oh, my gosh. We need to talk about that at some stage. But, yes, <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> X does mark the spot. For as long as it remains, can I, very, very tiny quick aside, I uh, had a, a spam or scammer in person at my account. Uh, I sent so. the uh, Twitter link uh, with my ID to Twitter. And I got an email back uh, this morning. We recorded this on Thursday morning, of course, a bit of behind the curtain. And Twitter said, we've reviewed your request and uh, uh, the, the, the account doesn't violate uh, policies because that person's not really impersonating you. Yeah, I had the exact, exact same thing <laughs> happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> They're literally using my photo. They're using my description. They've got the, the same Twitter handle with the character at the end. Uh, I, I don't know. If that's not impersonation, I don't, it's clearly not parody. They're trying to scam people. I don't entirely know what... Uh, what what else it could be? No, there one, you looked go. At, no anyway. one looked at it, right? So it's a bot reply, and and just like well, you know, I think there was there's a bit of truth in this. Like there was a lot of bloat in Silicon Valley, easy money yeah, thing. Yeah, you yeah. know, Elon comes in and goes, "Oh, I'm going to get rid of half, you know, eighty percent of the workforce." Like, well, I'm, I'm sure there was some bloat. To, that's a horrible term because people we're talking about people's livelihoods here. But you know, um, there there were there were probably a lot of um, cost savings to be had, but. You still need some staff, right? And it's getting to the point now. It's like there's just no. You can complain all you like to X, and there's just no one there at the other end. So it's just getting <laughs> worse and worse and worse. Um, yeah, it's it's really sad because I mean I really liked Twitter, <laughs> and I'm liking it less and yeah, less. Yeah, I it's fascinating. Know what's going to look like by the time we finish. Anyway, in the meantime, mm. rather get too far in yeah. that rabbit hole. You can follow Andrew for as long as he's there, for as long as Twitter exists at Sage underscore Simeon. You can follow Strawman, which apparently is a um online investment. Oh, company. I had to tip my tip. Oh, thank you. That's right. That's <laughs> there right. You go. At Strawman Invest. Uh, grab me on Twitter or Insta or Threads at TMF Scott P. I am still officially on Mastodon, Andrew, but uh, that's probably going to go by the way. So, uh, also, you can grab me on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Scott Phillips Money. You can look up the Motley Fool Australia on all those platforms as well. Mate, will you come back on Friday? Yeah, looking forward to it. I cannot wait. Should we talk about X? I think, I think we have to a bit, don't we? I don't know. If you want us to talk about X, let us know. If you'd rather us not, let us know that too. We are nothing if not slaves to the best interests of our listeners. Until... Friday, you'll have to wait and see. And full on. See ya. 
The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691.